0: If you've been with us the last few weeks, you know that we are in a series called Habits of the House, where we're talking about the things that we do, but not just what we do, but why we do what we do, that we're pushing the question a little bit deeper to not just look at the things that we do, but really look at the purpose behind them. And it's always amazing to me how the significance of an event is often determined by where that event takes place. Anytime there's a major event in the world or in your life, you can probably pinpoint where you were when it happened. You can probably pinpoint where you were when you got the call, when you got the news. You know where you were yesterday, uh, I took our daughters to the library. They love going to the library. They love finding books and they love to read. And so we had actually, we usually go to the downtown library. We went to a different library this time and we were kind of walking around just exploring. And we came around the corner to the study rooms that you can check out to study in. And this particular library had this one study room on the corner that had this gigantic glass window that looked out over a field into the trees. It had a nice whiteboard, it had a nice desk and some chairs in it. And my oldest daughter, Isabella, she looked at this room and, and I work from home because we don't have offices. And she said, this would be a great place for you to work. And I didn't know if she just wanted me out of the house or she just knows my personality, but, but she saw this space and she knew that it was the kind of place that I would like to work. And the kind of space that you like to work in really says a lot about who you are. Some of you like a cluttered space with lots of piles of things. And if anybody walked into the space where you work, they would think that it was a disaster, but you know right where everything is. Everything in your mind has its place. You know where to find something, you know where to look for it. To anyone else, it looks like complete chaos, but you know what's going on. Others of us are more normal and like a clean space and a clean slate. We don't like to be distracted by all of the clutter. We like to have a clean workspace because where you work says a lot about how you work and if you pay attention to the stories in the scriptures you will find that where god works says a lot about how he works that that the places that god chooses to work have significance and you cannot read the scriptures without realizing that that god does much of the work that he does in houses that you often find God working in houses throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. God works in houses. Many of the miracles we see in Jesus' life took place in houses. The, the, the story of a lame man who could not walk, whose friends brought him to Jesus, they, they pulled him through the roof of a house where Jesus was teaching. When one of Jesus' disciples' mother-in-law was sick and on the edge of death, Jesus went to her house to heal her. Jesus saw an outcast, someone who was not liked among his peers and a tax collector named Zacchaeus. And he said, I'm going to your house because the house was a symbol of a place where where society was actually shaped. Much like now, the understanding in the Jewish culture was however the house goes is how the culture will eventually go. And so Jesus did a lot of his work in houses. And it's almost as if all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, God is doing work in houses. And then when the early church is birthed, the apostle Paul says to the church in Second Peter, he says, God is building you into a house. It's it's almost as if Paul is reminding the church that all of these stories that you remember from the Old Testament of God working in houses, all of these stories of Jesus healing in houses, all of the things that Jesus did in houses, he wants to continue to do through the church. That he is building us into a house. And today, we we pick up a story of a woman who, who was desperate for a touch from God. She was in a position where she was out of options. She was hopeless. She had nowhere else to turn. And she needed a miracle, and God worked in her house. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Kings, beginning in chapter 4, verse 1. It says this, "'The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, "'Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord.'" But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a little oil. Elisha said, go around and ask your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and afterwards shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all of the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts so you and your sons can live on the rest. This woman is walking through an absolute crisis in her family but the world is still moving around her. And this is the problem when you go through a personal crisis is your world stops, but the world doesn't. And the fact that the world is still moving around you brings on this sense of frustration that that your world needs to stop and yet permission slips still need to be signed and laundry still needs to be done and meals still need to be made and meetings still need to be attended and bills still need to be paid. This woman has has lost her husband, but his debt is now putting the rest of her family in danger because, see, back then, if, if someone died with a debt, the, de- the the debtor could take the next generation of the one who owed the debt as slaves. They, they could literally enslave the sons of the debtor in order to pay his debt. She's already lost her husband. Now she's, she's at risk of losing her her sons, and she is completely desperate. She's seeking a miracle to save not herself, but to save her sons. And I think this is one of the things that gets God's attention, is a house that is concerned not just about themselves, but is concerned about the next generation. A house that is concerned about what is to come of those after him. This mother is concerned for the generation that is going to come after her. She does not want to see her her sons enslaved. And so she goes to Elisha and she tells him her situation. And and Elisha begins by asking a few very important questions. He starts by simply saying, how can I help you? Which, by the way, is a great response to someone who is in a personal crisis. It's a great response to someone who is walking through a difficult season. It's just, how can I help you? How can I help you? What can I do? And she explains her situation to him. She explains the desperate situation that she's in. And then he asks her another question. And he says, what do you have in your house? And she says, I have nothing except a little bit of oil. She has a little bit of oil, but she says she has nothing. She feels like she has nothing. Have you, have you ever lost something that made you feel like you lost everything? For, for some of us, that is a very real experience. You've, you've, you've worked hard at a job all of your life knowing that there was the promise of promotion, knowing that there was the promise of moving forward, and then you lost the job. Some of you poured into relationships and poured into a marriage and gave all you had, and then one day they walked out on you. She is in this moment where she feels like she has nothing. But but the truth is, even though we, we feel this in big moments of our lives, we often also default to this in the small moments of our lives, where we feel like we have nothing. I, I know nobody in this room is probably guilty of saying you have nothing when you actually have something. I, I know nobody in this room has ever walked into a full closet full of clothes that, that, could, that could clothe an entire African village and said, I have nothing to wear. I know nobody in this room has ever done that. I know nobody in this room has ever opened your pantry full of food and said there is nothing to eat. This is one of Kristen's pet peeves because often she will go shopping and then shortly after I will say we have nothing to eat. And I can tell when I say we have nothing to eat whether or not we have just been shopping and I just don't realize it by her response because she, she, she gets this look in her eye as though she wants to kill me. And she says, I I literally just went shopping. And usually the problem is not that we don't have anything. It's that I don't feel like what we have. This is the problem when you walk into your closet full of clothes and you say, I have nothing to wear. You have something to wear. You don't feel like wearing anything that you have. This is the problem when you look in your pantry and you say, I have nothing to eat. You probably have something to eat. You don't feel like what you have to eat. And if you're not careful, what happens is your feelings will often reduce what you have to nothing. It, w- it will make you see what you actually have as nothing. And, and this is so prevalent when you're walking through a tough season, when you're walking through a season of lack, when you're walking through a season of loss, it's so easy to view what you have as nothing. And, and that is what this woman does in her first response is she says, I really have nothing And then she says, I do have a little bit of oil now. She has a little bit of olive oil. And olive oil was actually quite valuable at the time. Because at this time, value was often attributed to something based on how many different things it could be used for. The versatility of what it was. And, and oil was extremely versatile because it could be used to light lamps, it could be used to cook, it could be used to preserve leather, it was even used at the time as a moisturizer on skin. Olive oil was very valuable. She had just a little bit of something valuable. And I want to remind somebody today that feels like they have nothing that you have a little bit of something valuable. That you have a little bit of something valuable in your life. And see, a lot of times what happens when we are in need is we look to the past at what we had. Or we look to the future at what we wish we had. But I love that the prophet does not ask, what did you have? Or what do you wish you had? He asks, what do you have right now? In your house, what do you have? See, what you have to realize is that God works with what you have, not what you wish you had. Often, we, we think that, that God is waiting to use us until we have something more. That, that when I have this, when I have that, then God can use me. But, but God works with what you have. And the good news is that we serve a God who does a lot with a little. He's got a long track record of doing a lot with a little. If you're familiar with the scriptures, you you may remember that there is a time in scripture that it says Jesus fed 5,000 men, which was much more than just 5,000 people. They only counted the men. So that did not include women and children. It says he he fed 5,000 men with with loaves and fishes, just a small lunch. He took it and he fed 5,000 people. Jesus says, if you have just a mustard seed of faith, You may not have a lot of faith left in your tank. You may not have a lot left in your tank, but he says all you need is a mustard seed of faith. Jesus asks Moses, what do you have in your hand? And he asks this woman, what do you have in your house? Because he's good at taking something small and doing something big with it. And so I would ask you, what do you believe you can't do because of what you don't have? What, what do you believe you can't do because of what you don't have? I can't be a good father because I just don't have the time. I can't start the business because I just don't have the money. I just can't do it. What do you believe you can't do because of what you don't have? God works with what you have. And in this moment, one of the things that we learn is, is it's very important where you go when you're feeling like you have nothing left. It's very important who you run to and where you run to when you feel like you have nothing left, when you feel like you have nothing to give. Because this woman runs to Elisha. She runs to the prophet. At this time, this would have been the person who speaks for God into this culture. She runs to get a word from God. See, I think what we do so often is we run to everybody else to meet our needs before we run to God. And if you think about this woman who was in need at this time, I think often what we would do is we would run to the neighbors first. We would run to the neighbors first and we would ask them to meet our need. The problem is if she had run to the neighbors before she ran to get a word from God, she would have asked for the wrong thing. If she had run to the neighbors, she would have asked for money. She would have asked for oil. She would have asked for something to meet her need. And yet she goes to the man of God and he says, go and get jars. She would have never asked for jars. She had enough jars for what she had already. And yet the man of God says, go and find jars. See, sometimes when we get desperate, we run to everyone else before we run to God, and we find ourselves asking for the wrong thing and getting our needs met in the wrong places. But when we are in need, when we are desperate, when we feel like we have nothing left, we have to run to God for a word from him. See, what, what, she, what, what she was taught by going to these neighbors and getting these jars is that if we will trust God with what we have, he will give us what we need. If we trust God with what we have, he will give us what we need because he ultimately has what we need. And so he told her to go and get the jars. See, God is looking to pour out everything you need if you would only make room for it in your life. If you would only make room for it in your life, God is looking to pour out everything that you need. And all he asked for was to go get empty vessels. He didn't tell her to get a specific kind of vessel. He didn't tell her to get a specific size of vessel. He just said, go get vessels that are empty. See, I think too often we get caught up in the condition of our vessel. So we're unwilling to bring it to God. But what we have to realize is that God is less concerned with the condition of the vessel than he is with the capacity of the vessel. That that in this moment, what God is saying to this woman is, if you'll just bring me empty jars, I'll fill them. You don't worry about the size. You don't worry about the shape. You just bring me empty jars and I will fill them. See, I think sometimes we forget that the contents of a container is always more valuable than the container. If you go somewhere and you order a cup of coffee, the coffee in the cup is more valuable than the cup itself. The pizza in the box is more valuable than the box itself. And yet we get caught up with the quality of the container. We get caught up with the quality of the container. We think that we have to get ourselves and our lives in order before we can bring ourselves to God when all he asks for is for us to come to him empty. See, sometimes we come to God or we feel like we're not good enough to come to God. And I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul who who, as many of you know, killed and persecuted Christians until God did something in his life. And in Acts 9:15, there's this moment where, where basically someone doesn't want to go and minister to Paul because Paul has this reputation of killing Christians, of persecuting Christians. And he's like, if I go and I minister to Paul, something really bad might happen to me. So I'd really rather not. And God speaks and says unto him in Acts 9:15, Go your way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name. Before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel, that God chose Paul as flawed as he was, as messed up as a past as he had, he chose him for his vessel to build the church. He chose him as his vessel to advance the kingdom of God. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 5 through 7 says, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined on our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may not be of God and, or may be of God and not of us. See, the power is not in our earthen vessels who carry God's presence. It's in the presence of God poured into our lives. That the power is not in the vessel. It's in what is poured into it. He asked her to bring empty jars. This is a a, a fundamental habit of our house, of Harbor Church, is that we believe that if we make room, God will fill the empty spaces. If we make room, God will fill the empty spaces. And we work this out on very, very practical levels. I can tell you that when we do things like we're doing today, where we do culture class, our team will say, hey, we've got 12 people signed up. How much food do we need to get? And I'm like, get food for 25. Because I believe that if we prepare for more, God will bring us more. If we prepare for more, he'll give us more. That's why if you serve on the serve team, you know that you get the privilege of parking all the way across the street. Because we want to leave spaces that are empty because we believe if we prepare for what God has for us, he will fill those empty spaces. This is why we know where those stacks of chairs some of you are sitting in because we want to be ready so that we have empty chairs when people show up because we believe if we prepare for what God has for us, he will pour it out on our church. And the same is true for your life. The same is true for your life. If you prepare for what it is that you want God to pour into your life, he is faithful to do his part and pour into your life. All you have to do is come empty. See, we are a church that believes in the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But let me tell you this. We can sing about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We can pray about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We can believe for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. And if we want to see a true outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the best way we can see that in our church is to keep going out to our neighbors, finding people who are empty, finding people who are broken, bringing them into the house and trusting that God will pour out his Spirit on them. That if we just get them to the house, he will pour his spirit out on them. We have to be a church that is willing to go to our neighbors, to go to our work, to go to our schools and the places that we have influence and to bring empty jars into the house so that God can fill them. The good news is you are not responsible to fill them. God will do the work that he promises to do. And we are a church that expects God to fill empty spaces. He asks her to go into her house. She she gathers the jars and to go into her house. And then he gives her a a very important instruction. He says, go into your house and shut the door. Go into your house and shut the door. If you want to see God pour out in your life in a new way, you're going to have to shut the door on some things in your life. See, I, I think it's significant that he asks her to shut the door because often. We leave the door open just in case God doesn't work. Like, just in case God doesn't work, we'll leave the door open because maybe we can get what we need out there. Maybe if God doesn't pour out, maybe if God doesn't make a way, maybe I can just slip back out the door and find what I need outside. And I think what Elisha is saying is everything you need is in the house, even though it may not feel like it right now, even though it may not feel like you have enough, even though you may feel like you're lacking, even though you may feel like you don't have what you need to pay your debt, everything you need is in the house already. But sometimes we leave that door open. See, some some of you have, have prayed for relationships in your life. You've prayed for fulfilling relationships. God, pour out in my life in, in a way that I have fulfilling relationships, and let, yet you've left the door open to those past disappointments. Functional relationships, and you've left the door open just in case God doesn't move in your life, just in case he doesn't pour out, maybe I can slip out the door and go back to that relationship. Maybe it'll be different this time. Maybe it'll be different this time, but I'm just going to leave the door open just in case God doesn't do what he said he's going to do. But if you want God to pour out in your life in a new way, you have to shut the door on things of the past because all that you need is found in the house. All that you need is found in the house. All that was there was a little bit of oil and some empty vessels, but it was enough for what God wanted to do in her life. He said, get in the house and shut the door behind you. And then he gave her a final important instruction, and he said, and then begin to pour it out. Begin to pour it out. She, she began to pour out, and I think it's significant that she began to pour out this oil in private. And, and I would ask you, what are you pouring out to God in private in your life? What are you giving to him when the door is closed? What are you giving to him when it's just you and God? What are you pouring out in private? What are you offering to him when no one is looking? What are you giving to him when no one is looking? See, I think it's significant that she had to give the little bit that she had left in order to get what God had for her. She had to give what little bit she had left, not knowing what would come of it not knowing if she would actually even get it back. She had to go ahead and give it. And I would encourage you that any area in your life where you feel a deficit, any area in your life where you feel a lack, any area in your life where you feel like you don't have enough, ask yourself, how can I pour this out? How can I give this back? How can I pour this out? in your finances. I used to be generous and then things got tight and so I quit giving and now my finances are out of control. How can you pour that out? How can you give it back to God? My relationships, how can I pour out relationally? I used to have relationships, but then I got hurt and so I stopped giving the little that I had and now I have no relationships because I quit pouring it out. See, often we think if we invest in others, we'll actually end up with less. If I give just the little bit of what I have, if if I give just what I have relationally, it's going to deplete me. I'm not going to have this little bit that I have, but she in this moment had to actually pour out what she had. Maybe you're actually depleted in some areas in your life because you quit pouring out in those areas, because you quit giving in those areas, because you quit trusting God that if you gave him the little bit that you had, he would do more with it that if you gave him the little bit that you had, he would give you enough. See, maybe you're depleted not because you've given too much, but because you've quit giving altogether. You've quit pouring altogether. You've started withholding instead of giving because you're afraid if you pour out the little that you have, you'll have nothing left. And one thing I love about this lady is is her concern for her children. I I know there's some people in this place this morning that you have some concern for your children. This it says the creditor is at the door ready to take my children. I don't know if you as a parent have ever felt like man my my child is paying for something that I did. My child is paying for something that I passed down or maybe you're the child that you feel like, man, I, I am paying for something that my parents did. I am paying for their dysfunction. I am paying for their problems. The good news in this moment is that God didn't just give enough to save her out of her situation. He gave enough so that the generations that come after her could be saved. And you need to be reminded that everything that you need to save your generations, to save those that come after you, is already in the house. It's already in the house. If you begin to get in the house and shut the door on that fearful thinking, if you begin to shut the door on that sense of of lack and not enough and I don't have enough and I can't give any more to this situation, I have nothing else to give to this situation. If you get in the house and you shut the door and you begin to pour it out, God will begin to do what only he can do and multiply what you have. God will do what only he can do and give you more than enough. I love the final verse of this, verse seven. It says, she went and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. You and your sons can live on what is left. This woman just wanted to be made even. She just wanted to be in the clear. She just wanted her debt to be paid because if she could just If she could just pay the debt, then she would save herself and she would save her sons. But God did what God always does. And he says, I'm going to give you enough to pay your debt. And then I'm going to give you enough to live on beyond that. I'm not just gonna give you what you need to be even. I'm gonna give you above and beyond so that you can live. See, this is what happened when the disciples fed that group of 5,000. Jesus said, take this bread and feed them and then there will be baskets left over for you to eat. There will be baskets left over for you to eat and see this picture of this woman, this story of this woman, her story is your story and her story is my story because we all had a debt that we could not pay. We all had a debt of sin that we could not pay. We all had a debt of sin that we could not pay. And yet Jesus poured out his life into your life, not just so that you could be brought even, not just so that you could be in the clear, but so that you could actually have life, so that you could actually live, so that you could have life. See, God has a way of taking you from having nothing left to being able to live on leftovers, to take you from having nothing left to be able to live on the abundance of what he's given you. That is his story for each and every one of us. He doesn't just want to bring you even. He doesn't just want to make you right. He wants to do that, and then he wants to take you further and give you life. And there's good news for somebody in this place this morning that feels like they're completely empty, Like they have no faith left. There's good news for somebody in this room who feels like they have nothing left to give because the only requirement for the jars was that they were empty. The only requirement for the jars is that they were empty. So if you're in this place this morning and you are feeling empty, if you are feeling depleted, if you are feeling like you have nothing left, then you are right now positioned for God to pour out in your life in such a way that it will overflow and you will have more than enough to live. You will have more than enough to save your family. You will have more than enough to provide for your situation. The only requirement, the only requirement is that you come empty. The only requirement is that you come empty. The Bible says that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord has access to that saving grace that makes you not just even but gives you life. The good news is that anyone means everyone. The good news is that anyone means everyone. The good news is that anyone means you. Anyone means the person sitting next to you. Anyone means the person who walked in this room for the first time. Anyone means the person who has followed Jesus all of their life but has walked away. Anyone means everyone. That anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so if you are in this place this morning and you're feeling like your situation is empty, you're feeling like it's broken, you're feeling like you're hopeless and there is no way out, you are in a prime spot for God to pour out on your life this morning. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes and stand with me all across this room?